0: Mud Stories, episode
1: 34. must see floods
0: my tired soul As you lift
1: me out of my muddy hole You wash me up with your sweet grace And you lead me to a safer place again
2: We make plans, and we... We have an idea of the way we want something to go, and then God allows something to happen in our life, and on the face of it, it's a bad thing. People said to me, you'll see, there's something good to be had in this, and that is true. There was something good to be had, and I am very, very grateful for the lessons we learn, but I would never want to learn them that way again.
0: Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. And if this is your first time joining us here, I want to extend to you a big, huge welcome, and yet I suspect many of you are returning today after listening to episode 33 to continue on with our conversation with Elizabeth Foss, and I can't be more happy that you've joined me too. And I must say, if you by chance have not heard part one of my conversation with Elizabeth, I would highly encourage you to just pause right now where you are in this episode. We'll be here when you come back and head on over to episode 33, where you can hear part one of my conversation with Elizabeth, because in that episode, not only will you hear her encouragement and her wisdom and her experience through discussing suffering, her journey through cancer how she has faced fear and unexpected loss, and all that occurred in her life to lead her through that kind of a journey. Not only will you hear that, but also it will give you context to today's part two conversation that's coming ahead. So you can find that episode at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 33. And we will be here when you return. So To those of you who have heard part one and you are here to join me for part two, I am so excited to share with you part two because we are going to be talking about so many fun things. We just had the greatest time talking and laughing and really discussing hard topics in the midst of having a fun and enjoyable conversation. And I just feel like after having this Long conversation with Elizabeth that she's just so dear to me, and her wisdom and experience I'm going to be hanging on for a long time. And so, let me just remind you a little bit about Elizabeth. She is a homeschooler, a knitter, a runner, a family life columnist, and writer for over 20 years, the author of two books, and she blogs regularly about all things at the heart of her home, which is the title of her blog. Elizabeth is married to Mike, and she's the mom of nine children, ages 6 to 26, and she resides in Northern Virginia with her family. And just about a year ago, Elizabeth and her family welcomed Lucy Sean, her first granddaughter, into the family. And if you go to the show notes page, which is JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 34, you'll be able to see a picture of Elizabeth with her sweet granddaughter, Lucy Sean. And I just know you're going to love that. It's super cute. So in this part two episode of my conversation with Elizabeth, we're going to discuss how to help our adult children through some hard things. We're going to talk about suffering and adversity, how our compassion and empathy for others grows through our suffering, and how it really shapes who we become. Together, as we talk, we're going to wrestle through some really hard things, some issues that I really brought to her attention because selfishly, I wanted to know what she thought and her advice and wisdom for some things that I struggle with and I know probably many of you struggle with too. So we wrestled through things like how perfectionism is all about our need to control and how God really does value us just the way we are. We talk about how to show our children grace and to really name what we're giving as grace and how to transparently share and show our struggles and failures to our kids so that eventually when they fail and they struggle, they'll know that they aren't alone. Elizabeth and I talk all about navigating social media and how to use it for good We talk about guarding our hearts and that temptation that comes with social media, especially for those visual um, social media avenues like Pinterest and Instagram, really how to face the temptation to compare and compete with each other. We talk about how online friendships can become real life friendships and how really we can take some steps to nurture those relationships that start online and take them further and deeper offline. Elizabeth explains to us the difference between burnout and depression, and at the end, she shares from her own heart all about the details of the Restore Workshop, which she has founded and which is going on right now. Now, before we jump into our conversation, I do want to give a small disclaimer. This episode is long. And it's well over an hour, but I am really hoping that you will be so encouraged by all that we talk about. And if you have to listen to it in parts as you go throughout your week, that's awesome. That'll be fine. Again, most episodes will not be this long, but I just couldn't cut anything that she said. And I just loved, loved, loved hearing her input and her feedback. And so, Quickly, because we're going to be limited at the end of the episode, I just wanted to mention if you are unaware that you can get a free app for this podcast, I want to tell you about it. If you have a mobile device, you can get a free app called the Mud Stories app. It can be found at JackieWatkins.com forward slash Apple app. Or if you have an Android device like me, you can find it at JackieWatkins.com forward slash Android app. Also, We have a sponsor for this podcast. And if you love listening to things, which I'm guessing you do because you're here with me today. You can receive a free audiobook today by going to mudstoriesbook.com. And this is a small way you can help support this podcast. You can sign up for a free trial. It's at no cost to you. You can cancel anytime and a small portion goes to support this podcast. And so I would greatly appreciate it if you have time to check that out. It would really, really help in all the efforts we have here at Mud Stories to share, all about adversity and trial and suffering and how God is redeeming it in his time in people's lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad I wish I could meet each and every one of you and give you a hug and encourage you. And I know Elizabeth would agree. And so without any further delay, we are going to pick up this conversation. Elizabeth has just shared about her son, Mike's friend, Sean, and how Sean, was diagnosed with a rare form of thymic cancer that really was super invasive and aggressive and spread really fast. And within a year, Sean died. And Elizabeth's son, Mike, wrote an article that ended up going viral that really bore witness to Sean's faith in the Lord and his witness for Christ. And really so many heard about God because of and through Sean and his dying process and how he championed Jesus through it all. And so we pick up this conversation with Elizabeth sharing with us about how that article spread through social media and what a blessing that was and how out of the mud we can rise all because of Christ. Without delay, here is part two of my conversation with Elizabeth Foss. Enjoy.
2: Sean knew God and that's why Sean was here. And that social media was the vehicle. They those boys used them to tell a story of incredible grace and strength and faith and Mm. So, yeah, so out of the mud. (laughs) Out of the mud, we will rise. And it was muddy for sure. And, um, you know, and, and he does, he does rise, so.
0: Well, I think it's just amazing how God used Sean's life to not only touch the lives of so many people who otherwise might not have heard about God, but even to minister to you guys personally who loved him so deeply, the gift that he gave you in his quotes or his words that he left behind, or just the way he fought till his dying day, you know, so inspired all of you. Um, I'm wondering, as you wrestled through fear in all these different muddy places in your life, and then to watch your own child have to wrestle it down too, what in your journey with God along the way did you learn that maybe somebody facing that kind of mud today could implement as you walked all those years, you know, and I know I'm asking you to condense, you know, what took a decade or more to walk through and learning the rhythms of walking with God and facing fear. And I'm just wondering if you can tell me some of the things that maybe helped you along the way to prepare to help an adult child deal with this kind of thing. Um, yeah, so Cause it's one thing for us to deal with our own fears, right? But when we see things that we've wrestled down and feel like we've gotten to a certain growth point in, and then we see our children face it, it's it's just yeah a whole nother thing.
2: It is a whole other thing, and it was so it's so gut wrenching to watch them suffer, and um, and for all the watching of Michael suffering watching Sean's mom watch Mm Sean. Oh, Mm -hmm. I just, and that woman has such strong faith. So for me, you know, I told you that Mm -hmm. Amy Grant was so pivotal and it sounds so trite, but Mm. the one thing that I needed to learn at the time and I need to remind myself is that we make plans and we we have an idea of the way we want something to go. And then God allows something to happen in our life. And on the face of it, it's a bad thing. I mean, there's just no way you could say, well, cancer's a good thing. And people said to me, you'll see there's something good to be had in this. And that is true. There was something good to be had. And I was probably able to say it maybe six months out, maybe before that. I have said forever that um, I am very, very grateful for the lessons we learned mm. through the cancer process. But I would never want to learn them that way again. Yeah. And and I throw that in there every time. So, <laughs> it's like so. I, there's no bad thunderclap or something. Yeah. But I am grateful. So with Michael, it was always reassuring him that God is in it. And I told him at the very beginning, when we still thought it was Hodgkin's disease, I said, you know, cancer doesn't happen to young people very often. And one of the hardest things about being young and having cancer is that all your friends are young too. And they're immature. And their first impulse a lot of them is going to be to run and you need to not run and you need to dig deep and you Mm. need to be a man and you need to be the friend that sticks closer than a brother because he's going to need you and he's going to need you when there's no one else there. And, um, so when he was in the ICU at the end and it was ugly, like just really ugly, um, He has two brothers and two sisters and his parents and his friend, Melanie, and they rotated through, you know, they would do two at a time Mm -hmm. turns over and over at the bedside, just witnessing horrible things. And I was so proud of him because he really, he did, he stuck right there. Right to the end, yeah. just closer than a brother the whole time. But I think it's important, whether it's a friend going through it or whether you're going through it yourself, to acknowledge that the song that I struggle with so much in the very beginning, and I remember calling Lynn and going, "What? What is this? What do you mean?" And um, I wish I could sing, I truly do, but I really can't, <laughs> and I'm not even going to try. So. I had some mighty plans thought I held them in my hands and my world began to crumble all away. Mm. I tried to build it back again. I couldn't bear to see it end how it hurt to know you wanted it that way. So I would get to that lyric and I go, what, Mm. what loving God wants it that way? Like what in the world? I can't reconcile that with the whole loving father thing. No father would want to see your child suffer. Mm. But then, She goes on to say, I'm so glad, glad to find the reason that I'm happy, sad that you tore it all away. And it's like, that's it. It's a happy, sad. It's a, it's knowing that he did allow this, but because he knows the beginning and the end, he allowed it because of who it would make you, you know, he allowed it because all those pieces are going to shatter. All those illusions of control are going to shatter. And then he's going to build it back again. Yeah. And it's going to be better than anything you could have even imagined. And it's hard when somebody dies to say, you know, I'm so glad.
3: I had made some mighty plans. Thought I held them in my hands. Then my world began to crumble all away. I tried to I couldn't bear to see it end How it hurt to know you wanted it that way And I'm so Hello.
2: If we're people of faith, we have to believe that it is better for Sean and Mm -hmm. that the people who love Sean are better for having walked in faith through that experience. Mm -hmm. They've grown and they've changed. And, you know, you can look at their lives and you can look at Michael's life. And I think in many ways, the same way our marriage faced cancer early, their marriage faced cancer Early. early, Mm-hmm. And and some of those issues of faith that y- y- I think kids grow up and, and the youth group faith kind of thing, God is good thing, has to be tested in some kind of a, a trial by fire. And there is a blessing when it's tested early. You know, you know that. Yeah. When, when you get tested like that early in, in your early 20s, mm-hmm. um, it forever shapes the trajectory of your life and and I think I can be grateful in that now
0: you know mm-hmm. it reminds me of that verse in first peter about when it says that after we've suffered mm-hmm. he restores and confirms and strengthens and establishes us that's right into people who we never would have been without the suffering
2: yeah and the suffering is a part of it it yeah. really is and I think suffering I mean I know that for me suffering Um, both with cancer and with depression has made me much more compassionate to other people's sufferings. I understand. I empathize Mm -hmm. readily with the way other people suffer. And um, I'm grateful for that. Like,
0: I'm grateful. That's a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I remember back in my early college years, you know, for me, life was really black and white. I could really resonate with what you had said about really striving towards perfection and performance for love and acceptance. And um, man, that way of living really leads to such a mess. And yet it's that suffering that really (laughs) knocks you off of that idealistic pedestal. And I think really helps you face those tendencies towards perfectionism. I'm interested in hearing what you might have to offer or say or suggest about those of us who have hearts who are predisposed to perfectionism and how you've learned over the years coming through what you've faced and the suffering you've endured, how that's helped you become one of those recovering perfectionists, so to speak, (laughs) because I know I'm certainly one that I wrestle that one down daily. Isn't it true, though? That's such
2: a hard one to, you know, it's not like something you can just conquer for once and for all. No, I think it's like a lifelong and it's so wired in yeah. me, and, and it's funny because uh, we come from very different childhoods. So then you kind of mm. wonder, you know, are you just sort of right. born wired that way? Yeah. And um, are you a firstborn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me I too. Am. Me I too. am. Maybe but it has something to do with that. Maybe not. I don't think it does because my sister is. Not even a recovering perfectionist. She's a self-professed <laughs> con- perfectionist, and yeah, and she'll say, you know, like I'll open one of her meticulously, perfectly organized cabinets or closets. I mean, you can't even. Her house is just everything is lined up like little soldiers, and I'm like, what is this? I mean, how do you even live like this? And she's, she'll say. I have to have control over something in my life mm-hmm. and I can have control over this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that perfectionism is a control issue. It really yeah. is. And, and I think that what we do is we try to be perfect because we think that we can control what other people think of us by our behavior. And that if we can just be perfect enough, then they'll be happy mm-hmm. And 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 not even necessarily what they think of us, but you know, if I can control this, then I can make them happy,
0: and and you can't, you know, right? Or I can get the affirmation that I'm desiring from them. Well, that's
2: the other part
0: of it. Okay, you're I already can, going there. You know, then I
2: can get, then I will be affirmed. Mm-hmm. Then I will be reassured that I have value that and I'm that enough. I have worth. Yeah, yeah, and um and that I'm enough. Mm-hmm. That I you know, that I fill whatever hole is here to be filled. And I, I think that you need to, I need to constantly remind myself that I am enough, that I daily, that I can't do anything more to make God love me more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really so key. uh, Our kids teach us such lessons and, um, my third son is an incredibly gifted soccer player. And um, when he was 15, he went to live in residency in Florida with the U.S. national team. Um, he played on the U-17 national team. This is Patrick? That's Patrick, yeah. Okay. So Patrick is um, going to be so thrilled I'm talking about this. Patrick, <laughs> Patrick talks about this at every opportunity. <laughs> but I'm sitting here like thinking oh. this this is such a huge lesson and, and to hear it, him articulate it was such a beautiful moment for a beautiful moment. So I'm going to get there. I can't wait. So, <laughs> all right. So Patrick, um, one of the things you worry about with a gifted athlete is that that child is going to think that his worth is tied up in his performance, in yeah. how well he plays. And we work so hard to not let that happen, but it's such a uh, almost universal thing mm-hmm. among athletes, where they will they will think you know that your your life is only as valuable as how well you played your last game. Well, and don't or, they
0: tend to be driven and competitive? Oh, yeah. That's why they're so good. You know, this kid is incredibly
2: driven and incredibly competitive, which adds the wrinkle of not only do I have to be perfect, I have to be more perfect <laughs> than the <laughs> better, guy better, next better, to be. better. Yeah, and I have to be the most perfect. Yeah, so. Patrick plays soccer and um, he plays for the University of Virginia and NCAA soccer is played in the fall and the postseason is a tournament, you know, it's it's like postseason basketball, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. It mm-hmm. ends with the final four. Right. So the round of eight, there's eight teams left okay. in the tournament. It's at Georgetown University, which was nice because it was local for us. Yeah. So it was an away game for him, but it actually was is pretty close to where we live. The soccer field is right beneath the windows of the intensive care unit at Georgetown. You could see the window Mm. of the room where Sean died from the soccer field. Mm. So Patrick, of course, was profoundly affected by Sean's story. Mm -hmm. And um, it was pouring rain and the game went to overtime and it wasn't settled in overtime. So it went to penalty kicks and Patrick had a penalty kick to take and you know, he, he spent all the time out there talking to Sean and thinking about Mm Sean and thinking about the joy of the game and just, you know, taking the kick and, and just really reveling in where he was and what he was doing and how Mm -hmm. much Sean would have loved being there. They won the game in Mm -hmm. penalty kicks and they went on to the final four. And they were playing the national championship game again wow. goes to overtime again goes to penalty kicks and Patrick was to take the fourth penalty kick and he went out there and he was just like Ugh. everybody looked
0: really serious but Patrick's like laughing I'm nervous and I'm not even at the game I'm not even the mob <laughs> and it's not even the game and I'm nervous <laughs> so Patrick and I'm Standing
2: on the bleachers, like my husband's six four, so I was standing on the bleacher behind him with my arms like around his neck, uh-huh. kind of watching. And this child is just taunting the keeper, and he's having the best time. Uh-huh. He's like laughing, and he does this little run up that looks more like a kickball run up. And uh-huh. he makes his he makes his kick his, he scores his goal, and mm-hmm. um, and he. It does his his little celebration just points to heaven and yeah. and people you know talked about who is this kid well and it didn't help that he had his hair in a bun because he decided <laughs> it's another long story but. He had a bet with the strength trainer that he was going to let his hair grow until they won a national championship. He's not lively or feisty or anything, no, right? Not, much. not at all. So, anyway, <laughs> so, you know, he's this kid who stands out because he was so relaxed and so ridiculous when he took this kick that oh. people were talking about the bun guy. <laughs> and um, so he actually had surgery to correct a deviated septum two days after the championship. So, he and I spent a lot of time together. Yeah he had the surgery down in Charlottesville. So I went from the championship to Charlottesville with him and then stayed for the surgery and then stayed a couple of days and came home. And um, one of the conversations we had, I, was, I said, I said, what was going through your head? Like, <laughs> what was that? And he said, you know, it's interesting. I'm in an Athletes in Action Bible study and it was probably a month ago. And the topic was, Being confident that God loves you just who you are and that your value doesn't change based on how you play or how you perform, that nothing can make him love you more. And he said it was weird because, you know, athletes in Action isn't just soccer. It's everybody. It's all of them. And he said, but the example that he used was penalty kicks. And, you know, he said before you Mm. go to the penalty kick, are you thinking – If I make this kick, God is going to love me so much more than if I screw it up. Or are you resting in the knowledge that no matter what happens, you will be just as loved and just as valued? And he said, so I got up there and I just thought, God loves me and we're going to have some fun with this. And I did. And I thought, wow, I wish I knew that when I was 20. I know. Me too. So awesome. That is you, awesome. If you can really, really know that under mm-hmm. a situation like that. Know that for the rest of your life mm-hmm. that, you know, that you're loved, and it's not based on your performance. And, and even if other people, because the reality is that you know the other people in your life are not God, and right. they actually may express displeasure when you screw up. <laughs>
0: And There may know, not be grace flowing from them. No, there may <laughs> not.
2: And and that's kind of the rub of learning to live mm-hmm. free of perfectionism, mm-hmm. particularly if you're in a situation where you can't really escape that, you know, when yeah. you have somebody in your life who doesn't offer that grace, right. um, then you really have to dig deep and know that God values you just the way you are. And it's not performance-based.
0: Right. It's all because of Jesus. Yeah,
2: Yeah. all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. You know, you may be in a situation where you have a really quirky coach and you can't figure out why he lets you play sometimes and doesn't let you play other times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that is all based on performance and then some. You know, sometimes it's just his whim. And you've got to rest in knowing that Jesus still holds you regardless of whether you're sitting on the bench or you're Mm -hmm. starting every game. But hearing it come from your child is such a great thing because you think, oh my gosh, maybe this chain of perfectionism can be broken in Mm -hmm. the next generation because my mother is extremely perfectionistic, Mm -hmm. you know, like for herself. And it's very sad to witness, you know, even all these years later, how she's still trying so hard to, earn people's affection
0: well it's a prison and you
2: know? it is yeah it is so when you see that your child is free of that mm-hmm. you know when he can articulate it and he can live it out on a stage that big you think oh my gosh we've made progress here god you yeah. know and i can learn from him and um you know maybe this doesn't have to be perpetuated seven generations into into this. Yeah. So
0: Well, and I think as parents, I think for me, I I know when I went through some intense counseling in my late 20s, the counselor looked at me one time and he said, "You know, how long are you going to choose to live in this prison where you're responsible for the feelings of other people?" Right. You know, and his words have continued to remain with me in that he said, "You know, you're responsible to people You know, we're we're responsible to our spouses, to our children. You know, we have relationship, but we're not responsible for them, for their feelings, for how they deal with life or how they respond. We can only be responsible for our own selves. And I think perfectionism in that sense of control or fear or that longing to be accepted really, like you said, is a symptom of control. And if we can help our kids break that by helping them see that they're not responsible for our satisfaction in life, that Mm -hmm. we are relying on the grace of God to really feel enough.
2: Yeah, and I think um, I'm becoming even more aware of how important it is to, when they inevitably mess up, Mm -hmm. not only to extend the grace, but to remind them that we're extending the grace you know Mm. to say this is grace this Mm. is mercy to name it Yeah, yeah because I think they need to be aware of it every single time that this is what it looks like and this is why you have it you have this because I love you unconditionally. And mm-hmm. it, even as much as I love you unconditionally, God loves you more unconditionally. And I, I think to not be afraid to just come right out and say, this is what this is yeah. and that you're going to mess up. And I don't want you to be so in fear of messing up that you don't avail yourself to the grace that's there right? and, and that you don't take risks. You know, I mean, I think there are kids who are so afraid that they're going to mess up that they don't, take a chance. Right. Um, you think about a kid who uh, you like picks very carefully what they're going to take in college, thereby missing lots of things they're interested in, but they don't want to screw up their GPA. Right. And I think we need to encourage them to do things that they might not be the greatest at. To dare them because, to fail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just say, you know, yeah. Please fail, please yeah. ha- and
0: practice. Take a risk.
2: See how if you fall, you can get up again. Yeah, and prac rehearse that. Know that.
0: Well, and being transparent as parents to let them in to see how we do fail too, because mm-hmm. then they're gonna feel um, safe to come to us when they do experience failure, and they're gonna know that we're not perfect, and we don't expect them to be perfect. And I think it builds relationship too and trust. In right that sense. I know? do too. Yeah.
2: I absolutely think it builds relationship and trust. And I think that the, you know, as children get older, you know, y- yourself with a young adult, um, showing them more and more of the layers of who you are mm-hmm. and how you struggle brings them more, more into a mature relationship with you where there's some give and take. And, um, I know that I learn a lot from my big kids, you know, listening to them and and hearing their thoughts and parts of their walk. And it's really, really gratifying when my relationship with my daughter-in-law is really a friendship, you
0: know, and... I can't wait for that. That sounds so beautiful. I was so
2: terrified. And (laughs) I mean, it is so beautiful and so much more than I ever could have imagined. And but she... I let her see, you know, all my stuff, all my mess for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, she walks in and out of this house just like any other kid in this house Mm -hmm. and she sees it all. And, um, And we talk about things, really deep, important things. And part of that, I think, you know, the whole cancer crash course, we, we walked some pretty big things last year between literally life and death. You know, there Mm -hmm. was, there was Sean and then there was Lucy and all of it rolled into one. It, Mm -hmm. It made us a family really fast. And there's, you know, one of those things that's a beautiful thing, but to let yourself be vulnerable with your children especially as they get older mm-hmm. is to let them see that it's okay to not have all the answers right. and to make big mistakes and to repent and to be forgiven mm-hmm. and to extend grace to one another, and
0: to wrestle through the hard things together. You know, there yeah. aren't black and white answers sometimes and we have to just sit in that tension together. Yeah, absolutely too. And I
2: think a lot of times people think, you know, I have it in your head that parenting stops. Or that, you know, there's just not as much of it Mm. to do as they get older. But it's these things, these relationship Mm -hmm. things, these really faithful friendships as, you know, those are big and they never stop. They just keep growing and changing.
0: I can't wait for that with my littles. And I think it's something that we can start building now. Even when they're really little, you know, practicing that transparency and talking through feelings and wrestling through hard topics and just nothing being off limits. You know, I think setting a precedent like that can be such a gift to lay the foundation for those older friendships when they grow and are on their own because they still need us. Right. Yeah, They, they still need us. Absolutely. Definitely.
2: Maybe even more in some ways.
0: Well, Elizabeth, I want you to address, you mentioned a little bit about depression. I want to address that. But before we do, I have a couple social media questions because I know, you know, we live in a social media driven world right now. You know, it can be such a draw, especially, you know, as we seek relationships, community and connection. And I know real friendships can be made there. I mean, that's how I got connected with you. Yep. Um, and yet, Those relationships online are limited because they just can't fill that need we have for face-to-face in real life community. So I'm wondering, in your wisdom and experience, you've kind of been blogging for quite a while and you've been online a lot. I'd love for you to share with us a little bit of what you've learned about the struggle that is social media and how you can help us navigate our social media and online relationships for our good. Okay. So this is so funny. I'm wondering
2: which little glitch I did here. And when I filled out your form before we did this podcast, one thing you asked was, you know, What's, what's the big regret? And I wrote this really long thing about my social media regrets. <laughs> and then I just deleted Did the whole Did you thing really? I thought I, <laughs> just, I thought, I don't want to go there. I just want to think about it. Oh,
0: okay. Well, we don't have to go there no, if you no, don't no, want no. to. We can
2: go there. We can go there because clearly God went there. But um, so it's just
0: so funny. Here's the reason I ask. It's because I've learned so much from reading your posts. Personally, it's speaking to me so deeply. And I'm at a place where I've spent several years investing in online relationships and we've changed churches and I'm homeschooling now and not connected with a school or a co-op this Mm, particular year. And it's been a lonely year for me, I'll admit. And I seek relationship online and yet I'm learning that um, as beautiful as those people are, they can't come hug me in my living room while I fold Mm. laundry. And um, so, a lot of the posts I was reading on your site were speaking to how much you've learned, and I'm just personally selfish and wanting to learn from you, to be honest, and uh, get some I wisdom think, from you. I don't know.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's the honest answer is I, I don't know. I um, well, exactly five years ago, I was really active on a message board that I founded. And that I poured a lot of myself into. I thought it was a pretty tight community, and I was pretty proud of it. You know that we had done some really good things. It was a mm-hmm. homeschooling message board. It was faith-based. And to make a very long story short, I was kind of excused from it, <laughs> but you, <laughs> I still kind of you can't were dismissed. Wrap my... Yeah, from the message board that I founded, <laughs> um, and and it was there were issues of faith. Um, Mm. and, and basically faith and homeschooling and how I was raising my kids and, um, and those are really hard things Mm. to see in print. Mm. Um, and I became very, very gun shy, Mm. you know, backed way away. Um, and kind of my blog had always been a place to just record my thoughts. I, When I first started blogging, I was so excited about the fact that I wasn't constrained by 500 word count on a column like I had been for so many years. I could go further and deeper if I wanted to. And then in the early days of blogging, pictures weren't that great. You know, Mm -hmm. they just didn't. But as they became a bigger thing, that was just so nice to have this pretty visual. And so it really was my creative outlet.
0: Place. Yeah. And,
2: um... I thought long and hard about stopping and just kind of cutting away altogether from online anything. Um, But as painful as it was, there were people who were still my friends and I was really grateful for them. And I've made really good friends when I'm honest with myself. I I have a tendency to go to the other extreme and say (laughs) it's all bad. Social media is bad. Take them all all off my phone. Yeah. We should all just... And I've done that. I've taken them all off my phone. And um, the big joke in our house a couple (laughs) months ago was, you know, when MySpace first came out, Michael was probably 15 or 16 and I went is completely neurotic and you know you're not going to do that you're not going to have a computer you're not going to do this you're not going to do that oh, control uh, right control control and, you know, the funny thing is this kid is the one who grew up to be you know Forbes 30 under 30 for media and I'm oh looking,
0: my goodness wait he wasn't even allowed to have media
2: I don't even know what you're talking about so, um, so social media has been very good to our family and yeah you know, it's a tool, It's and it's a useful tool, but we all have to have, we have to be aware of how much time we spend there, and I find, you know, it's funny. I told you that fatigue was a depression trigger. Mm -hmm. I find I spend way more time on social media when I'm tired. It's like Mm -hmm. my brain can't do anything else. So I mindlessly click. Like, really, do you need to scroll through Twitter five or six or seven times a day? You don't. It just doesn't change that much, you know. But I'll find myself spending way too much time if I'm tired, um, which is not a good time to be communicating via social media. (laughs) You say stupid things. you do stupid things and um there are definitely certain times that you really need to just stay away from it um but i think with friendships because i think you can connect online and i do think that there are ways to connect with people locally online one thing i found recently when i started running was there was a mom's run this town facebook group These are all people who Mm -hmm. I found online, but they live in my neighborhood. And, you know, so I think those are, it's nice to be able to connect that way. And that's great. um, I love Instagram because I love the visual. Mm -hmm. And I love, I was thinking this morning, my Instagram, my feed where I've curated and really put nothing in my Instagram feed that isn't something I want to see. You've stewarded it. I really, yeah. really have much more so than my Twitter feed, which I, at Twitter, I always think, oh gosh, I really am tired of listening to this person whine or I don't want to <laughs> see this pop up. But then I'm afraid to, to unfollow them because, you know, these people all get their little unfollow reports and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to. Do they hurt.
0: really? Did I just learn something new? People I get notified people if that, I unfollow?
2: Uh, my kids told me that really? you can have,
0: and I, I, you know, that's the thing, like, I don't know who does that. I thought that I was my safe, safe place that I could unfollow without any notification. <laughs> You're running it, Elizabeth. I'm so sorry. <laughs> my children told me that that you absolutely, I mean, they, one of them. I'm maybe. sure there's a way. Oh, well, yeah. it is what it is. Some it is what it is. sort of
2: thing where he knows when somebody unfollows them. And I, he said something one day and I was like, how do you know that? And he said, well, there's this
0: thing. <laughs> These kids, can, they're you know. so savvy.
2: And I thought, oh, no, people have that. <laughs> And they're going to know I unfollowed them. So, but I think the thing, the thing is to guard that time
3: mm-hmm.
2: and to make sure that the time that you spend there is time well spent because it can be a huge time suck. And oh, then it can, for sure. It's really important to resist the urge to compare and compete. Yeah. Um, Particularly with those visual mediums because it's so easy to look at the way somebody, oh, that was the best thing. I mean, it was a terrible thing, but it was, it was such a great um, teachable moment. So um, Stephen, who was 16, mm-hmm. um, was pretty seriously injured on the soccer field three weeks ago, and he went up for a header, and so did his friend, and oh, no. his friend's head kind of went into the side of Stephen's face, and he bit a chunk out of the inside of his oh. mouth. He took out muscle and left. Oh no. <laughs> Somebody texted Mary Beth from the field and said, yes, yeah, Stephen left half his face on the field. So <laughs> oh, it was no. nasty. But it was the left side
0: of his face.
2: And um mm. and he needed 37 stitches and a plastic surgeon. And when there I There is was,
0: never a dull moment at your
2: house. No, there isn't. <laughs> it's been a very, very exciting winter. Um So I went into the emergency room and he was already there when I got there. And I was sitting on the right side of his face. Mm -hmm. And because he's 16 and very much aware of social Mm -hmm. media, he's like, so take a picture so we can Snapchat this. So, um, so I took a picture and from the, the right side of his face and, um, I, I had a picture of him on Facebook and it like a day or two later. Yeah. But it was the same picture. And somebody said, well, he looks just fine. He doesn't look any worse for the wear. And I thought, Hmm. right, because if you take a picture on the right side, this looks all good. Mm -hmm. And if you take a picture on the left side, this is a bloody mess. Mm -hmm. And how often do we do that anyway? You know, and and how often is the person in your instagram feed doing that you know she's taking a picture of the clean corner of her room
0: right instead of like Jessica. push out all that little things that yeah. would be in the picture that are a mess <laughs> you know sweep that corner up and we'll put <laughs>
2: yeah. this on there you know and i think that we need to remind each other that that It's not always the way it appears. And then we shouldn't compete with somebody's visage, you know? So,
0: um, or just to keep in mind that it could possibly be a right sided picture you're seeing. Right. You
2: know, exactly. Yeah. You know, because my intent, my intent actually was sort of to edit because it was really I wouldn't have put. We didn't want to scare people. On the other side. No, because I I would have wanted to have come across that in my Instagram feed like right. there's people who were literally nauseated by that picture. So yeah, that was so kind I wasn't of you really going for the picture. Now I did take some poor pictures to send to his father, right, in Florida, and missing the whole thing. He needed to know? get the full scope. <laughs> Uh, and then he needed pictures to send his brothers so they could all talk right. about how cool, you know, whatever. But, yeah, but you know, for public consumption, we're going to do the picture that's not going to gross anybody out. Right. So, right. so I think that's part of it. But then I think the friendship part of it, um, I think I do better when I jump outside of the social media medium mm-hmm. and have a phone call. Do a text conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have friends who are really, really good everyday friends. One of them in South Carolina and one of them is in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And, and we text all day long. Yeah. And, and it's real. It's very mm-hmm. real. But it's different than what you get in a conversation on Twitter or a conversation on Instagram. Yeah. Cause it can you know, only go so like, far. Yeah. Right. And, it, and you know, it's like how many generations removed kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. can it be? And, and so I think that when you bump into somebody online who, it really seems like a kindred spirit, there are ways to introduce your voice, mm-hmm. you know, Voxer or phone calls. Yeah. Voxer is great. Um, yeah, you know, and I I think it's good to meet them yeah. for real because I think that that can tell you a lot. There's another dimension to that person, yeah. and 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 those real life meetings can make or break friendships too. Absolutely. You know, and sometimes you can meet somebody for real that you knew online and go, yeah, that's not what I thought, you right? Know? Exactly. And that's okay to walk away from that. It's good to know
0: that. Yeah. Um. So, you know who I got to meet, who, you know, at a loom, I got to meet Colleen, and you know, it was so, did she, I just, yeah. I fell in love with her. The only, it was like a total fluke that I even realized she was there. And the only way I recognized her is from her Facebook picture. I leaned across the font, the, what do you call it? The display of food. It was like buffet. (laughs) I lost the word there for a minute. And I'm like, are you Colleen Mitchell? And she's like, well, yes, I am. And I'm like, well, you don't know who I am, but my name is Jackie, and I know a mutual friend of yours. And anyway, she... It was so sweet. She spent an hour just chatting with me, telling me her story. I was so y'all who are listening. Yeah. We're having a sidebar conversation, but you have to check out Colleen. She <laughs> has an amazing ministry in Costa Rica. She does to you does. know and indigent you mamas know, who are breastfeeding. Born and, of a lot of pain. Yeah, that, in that you know. I mean,
2: there was a lot of pain that preceded that imagery. You talk about a mud wow, story. I
0: know. Well, she was you know. she, she was so gracious to share that with me, and I just fell in love with her. And then she told me she was friends with you and I made that made me love her all yeah, the more anyway super good friends and that's a you know that's a story of a of an internet friendship mm-hmm. that
2: um was extremely real in a lot of very real mm-hmm. ways um you know we we connected on that message board the one that that was the source of so much pain yeah. um was where I met her and got to be friends and she was up here visiting one year with her kids and so <laughs> we met in real life and then we just started talking a lot, and we'd gotten to the place where we were planning school together, even though she was in Louisiana and I was here, and um, kind of holding each other accountable prayer-wise, and just really talking all the time. That's beautiful. And um, it was September first of two thousand nine, and we'd been chatting on the phone while her son Bryce was asleep, and we had all these grand plans. We were doing a unit study on Africa, and I had just hung up. And gone upstairs, and Patrick came up with the phone, and he said, "It's Mrs. Mitchell's sister." And I was like, oh, mm. "Oh, this can't be good." And Bryce had died in his sleep. Mm. And um, from afar, we raised a tremendous amount of support for her, and um, raised money for her funeral, and. Uh, My husband worked with a funeral director from here in order to to help her there. It was Mm -hmm. really remarkable how much we were able to connect in very real ways across the miles. And then a year later, she spent that first anniversary here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just kind of got knit together. Absolutely. One of the saddest, saddest moments that a mother Mm -hmm. could ever live. And. From that was born her ministry in Costa Rica to mothers, um, indigent mothers and babies. Um, So, yeah, we
0: just headed off about that and. Uh, I, too, have experienced beautiful, real friendships from meeting people in person. And I think you're right. You know, I think it's important to make an effort not to keep it superficial, but to make that extra effort to go that extra mile, maybe a text or a phone call because and then a meeting because it really they can be the most beautiful, real relationships, you know, so. Well, Elizabeth, I want you to share with everyone your latest project that you're doing, which has been born Mm -hmm. out of this wrestling of ebbing and flowing in and out of depression versus burnout. And, you know, all that God taught you through not only coming through fear and the issues of control and perfectionism, but burnout and depression. Can you speak to me first and tell me what's the difference between burnout and depression? Because yeah, there there is a fun. difference, right? And then yep. some... Yeah, no, there is a difference. Well, let's talk about, about that, that first. Tell me about that.
2: So I think that um, burnout is more common, more typical, and less serious than depression. I think that burnout can lead to depression. I think that you can get so depleted that you really begin to um, lose your ability to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think it's more a progression, maybe a a spectrum. And the trick is to recognize it before you're burned out. And then certainly if you're burned out and start, start to restore, to do the things that you need to do to restore yourself. I don't necessarily think that all of those things together would cure depression but i don't think that they would hurt either like i think that that any of the restorative techniques and strategies that use for burnout are excellent techniques and strategies for depression but you may need more you may need you may need counseling you may need medication you may need more yeah but certainly, there's nothing there that will harm somebody who is depressed, and they will help. I mean, I think they're, they're, it's a um, good starting place. Therapy. Yeah. 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 So, and
0: I do have a couple different podcasts about depression specifically, people who have shared right. about postpartum depression and just, you know, um, chemically depleted depression, you know, sometimes our brain neurotransmitters really take a hit and they need some help with some medication for either short term or long term. So this,
2: the the whole idea of burnout recovery is, is more, not even more about self-care. It is about self-care. And I do think that in instances of depression, self-care really suffers Yes, a lot. And it's a chicken and the egg thing, Mm -hmm. you know, is it suffering because you're depressed? Or did, did the neglect of self-care lead you down the road to depression? Mm-hmm. So the Restore Workshop is, is written to help women to identify those self-care techniques and to give them some really tangible inspiration in things that they can start to implement in their lives and then carry with them throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. Really life-changing
0: um, techniques. Life-changing. Yeah, absolutely. Or life-changing techniques.
2: And um, the first year that we did it was last year. It was, um, and it, it lined up. Well, I started writing it. My father-in-law, the one who was so very much a part of, of my own cancer mm-hmm. journey, died in October of the, the year preceding Restore. So he died in October and Sean was dying. Mm-hmm. And Sean died in early March. So, and restore kind of was born in the midst of the grief and, and written in a lot of ways to remind myself not to let what I could see being a very emotionally exhausting year, just run me over. Um, cause I had had that happen before I knew what burnout was and I knew I couldn't afford to, to go there. Right. So it builds upon itself. We start By
0: identifying what burnout is. So it's an online group or course, would you say? What would you call it? Well, I call it a workshop. A workshop. It's an an online,
2: um, it it runs for almost eight weeks. And then it's open for a month after that. So you can still access all the materials. And for for the, the live time of it, I introduce one essay or a podcast or something to do with your hands every day. And one quiet time prompt. So there's a quiet time prompt every day for the entire workshop. And then on Mondays I have podcasts where I talk to some people who have experienced burnout or who have specific techniques and strategies to share. Mm. Um, so we started with, uh, we started on Ash Wednesday and then this week we have Ann Voskamp, I think on Monday. So every Monday is a, is a podcast. And you can join at any time. Okay, great. um, All the way up to Easter and catch up at your own pace. So it's not something that, you know, you had to be there for the beginning. And it's not something you have to show up every day, it's not in real time. Mm -hmm. You can access it whenever you want to. And, um, And so three days a week, there are some in-depth essay topics and and every day there's conversation if you want it, you know, there's the combox box kind of thing and you can, you can join threaded conversations or not, you know, some people just do it entirely on their own. And we start with kind of identifying what burnout is and, and naming it and really describing it and then talking about how to implement some of these strategies. And we talk about rest in the very beginning and prayer and nutrition, hmm. and exercise. I'm trying to think. And creativity, my way all way to
0: it. too. You have, um, tell about the things your hands can do, too. I thought that was wonderful.
2: Uh, okay, so yeah. So three days a week are the, three days a week we have the, the essays, and then on Friday we have, you something that's more hands-on and tangible creativity things. Cause I feel like creativity is really important. Mm-hmm. And a lot of moms neglect that in the busy seasons of yeah. life. You I know, know they, I do for sure. They just, you know, their creativity gets narrowed down to how am I going to get this many kids, this many places at this much time. And so we do some, we start off We make um, healing salve.
0: Yeah, tell them about that one because that's the one I saw this last week because I think everybody's going to love that whole thing. I mean, the oils and everything. So it's herbal healing salve,
2: bath salts, and um, just some things to pamper you in the tub,
0: kind of a a little spa kind of thing. And And you have all the links with all the herbs that you can get and the oils and the beeswax, right? And then a tutorial for making them. Um, so, even people like me that are craft challenge, your directions are yeah. thorough right <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: absolutely so um a
2: very simple crochet project for people who who want to crochet um, a knitting project that um, my friend Elizabeth DeHorty, yeah. who is dying of breast cancer, um, she she contributed last year. She contributed this knitting pattern. Mm. So we have some um, knitted washcloths and some crocheted washcloths. She's the one who knits the rainbow socks, right? Right. She knits the rainbow yeah. socks. Yep. And then um, we make like reusable paper towels, which sounds silly. They're not paper at all, but they're they're two-sided towel, you know, they go around your paper towel holder to replace paper towels, but they're not really paper. Yeah, And then some embellished towels for your bathroom. I seem to have like a bath and towel. Yeah. Yeah. So some creativity. And then we talk about friendship and support Mm -hmm. and marriage and support. Talk about your house and your kids and a little bit of cleaning and clutter, but not I mean, we're really respectful of the idea that, you know, the last thing you want when you're burned out is somebody to tell you to clean your house. Right. So, so more crisis cleaning and okay, yeah, you are looking at this mound of laundry and yes, this is discouraging you. So let me give you some
0: ideas on how to conquer that. And restore, the restore workshop is for women only. Yeah. Yes. I just wanted to, let the guys know out there because I know I do have guys that yeah. listen
2: yeah, to the podcast. I, you know,
0: I did my husband has read through
2: it and yeah. um and found it valuable. There are definitely things that would I think I would encourage women to share. So have
0: your husband. woman person join is yes, all I'm saying.
2: Exactly. <laughs> right. And she can share it with you yes. because you would feel it's a little it's a little flowery yeah, for you. Yeah. And then, you know, we talk about grief and recovering from the ashes of burnout. And we end with Easter. Yeah. Really. And resurrection and new life. And I had, I think, oh gosh, I'm, I don't know, probably a quarter of the women who took it last year came back this year, even though there's not that much new content. Mm. Um, and you, they just really liked it. They wanted to be a part of the community again. They wanted the encouragement again. They wanted to treat themselves again. And I found that really encouraging. Yeah. And I really heard a lot from women who took it last year who said, this stuck with me. This was something that... Really became a part of who I am and has really helped with the challenges this year. So I'm excited. We just got started. So this is a new group of people and I'm excited to travel this journey again yeah. and to, to remind myself, you know, because I think when we write so often, I know for me, when I'm writing, uh, I'm writing to work it all out in my own head. Yeah. And then I reread it and I go,
0: yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. And then I live it. And this is that for sure definitely. So if someone wants to check out the restore workshop, where would they go? So it's www.nurturingjoy.com.
2: And you get access to the website, which makes you makes everything accessible to you, all the comments, the, the discussions in the mm-hmm. comment boxes. Because it
0: really is a community. Right. It is a community.
2: Um, the essays are on PDFs, so you can print them out or you can just download them and read them offline if you want. And uh, the tutorials are also PDFs and they're yours to keep. The podcasts <clears throat> have to be listened to on the computer. Like you can't download them because they're password protected mm-hmm. and we couldn't find a good way to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> but there
0: are transcripts of the podcast that you can take away. Yeah. I thought that was lovely yeah. that you did that because, you know, a lot of us want to go back and savor those words that right. You talk. Right, And the whole thing is live through, it'll, it'll be live a month after it ends. So you'll be able to listen to it again if you want. To. So a full 12 weeks worth of content, you know, right, yeah. right. Yeah, love that. Yeah, definitely. And I, what I love so much about it, what you've done, Elizabeth, is that you've taken really the suffering, the journey that you've been on, the struggle through that fear and control and cycles of burning out, and how to recover from that, and and you've really curated a way that you found personally has helped you walk out of burnout in those times and in a way right. you've curated it all as a gift back to share with all of us and you get yeah, it you do, that's you understand what I love. that's
2: exactly what it is that's exactly what it is and it always amazes mm-hmm. me when I take something that's so personal to me and I realize that other women are experiencing yeah. it almost the same yeah. way and that has been the case with burnout Definitely. And
0: to know we're not alone. I mean, that's what this whole Mud Stories podcast is about. You know, we all face stuff. I mean, burnout is real for so many. It's very easy to get burnout. And I think a lot of the things that you've learned along your journey that you're offering back in this Restore Workshop really can help us circumvent the downward spiral of that progressively worsening burnout that just really can very seriously lead to real depression. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's faith-based, that you focus on time with God and, you know, time in nature, too. And mm-hmm. and um, I'm just really thankful that, that you uh, went forward and released that. I'm sorry that I missed the first year, but I'm excited about this year. I'm really glad to have you along yeah. this year, and
2: I think it'll be really fun to walk it with you. So,
0: Well, I just have to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for spending these weeks with us, sharing with us from the richness that has been your life, your suffering, your journey. And I know that it's not in vain that your mud is going to encourage someone else today who is struggling, who is facing a family member or a friend with some illness or something that's out of their control or maybe they are having their fifth baby and just not sure how to manage it all. You you give hope through many of the circumstances oh. and I'm just so thankful that you said yes to me and that
2: Oh, I'm really grateful that you're here. No, this is great. This is just, you know, you you're doing really good things here. I think thank you. you're addressing topics that a lot of people, most people shy away from, but anybody who's walking those things are just looking so desperately for mm. support and camaraderie yeah. and it's here and it's such a gift. Thank you. It really is.
0: Well, how can they find you online other than the restore workshop at dot com? Where else, if they want to read your writing, I am go? at www.elisabethfoss.com.
2: Okay, great. So, and
0: I will link to all of your social media things so they can, uh, find you okay thank you very much Uh, that'll be great well have a great evening you too okay bye-bye okay bye well that concludes my amazing part one and part two episodes with elizabeth foss and i just cannot thank her enough for her time and her wisdom and her words for coming here and sharing her heart so transparently and and opening up her life to us so that we could learn and be encouraged by all she's been through and wow i just feel so blessed that i made a new friend in elizabeth um and i'm just so so very thankful for her And if you want to find any of the links mentioned in this episode, including all the information on how to register for the Restore Workshop, and that is open for registration through April 12th of 2015, and I think you'll really be blessed if you join us there. It's just been a really wonderful season of Lent for me so far, and I'm giving thanks to Elizabeth for creating such an environment of serenity and peace and restoration. And so all the links will be included over at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 34, including the lyrics to that amazing song by Amy Grant. It's called So Glad and it was written by Amy herself and Brown Bannister, who actually is the father of Ellie Holcomb, and a man who helped Amy start her career, Chris Christian. And so Thank you to uh, Amy Grant for all her inspiration to all of us over all the years. And I know I have renewed uh, time, you know, these last few weeks listening to a lot of old Amy Grant songs. And, you know, maybe you should make your own Pandora Station of Amy Grant. I think you'd be encouraged to. So her Songs are timeless, and I'm so thankful for the life she's also lived. It would be my absolute dream to have her on the Mud Stories podcast. So if, if you'll all uh, you know, say a prayer, maybe we can have Amy Grant come share with us. That'd be amazing. Ah, I'm just so filled up and thankful. And so no matter what you're facing today, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may you find a grateful song to sing. I'll see you next time. Have a beautiful day.
1: I never in you press upon my mind I pull the shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the plane. And I never will find a way out, and then I feel you next to me. My head to see, Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul as You lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with Your sweet grace and You lead me to a safer place. A press upon my mind a pull the shade That leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the plane And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole you wash me off with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place you overwhelm my broken thoughts and you mend my lost and damaged heart I find myself where a grateful song to sing, a grateful song to sing, a grateful song.